Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back and thanks for joining me on another episode of Living the Sky Life podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to just take a second and say thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart for all of you who have purchased my book on Amazon, downloaded the Kindle version of my book from Amazon, shared, um, encouraged friends and family members to purchase my book. It has meant the world to me and even more so the Facebook messages I've been getting, um, other private messages to my email um, about your take on the book and all that you've gotten out of it and just how well written it was, just all the many feedback and compliments I've gotten so greatly appreciated. You know, my goal initially with this book was not only to connect with other families with the child on the spectrum so we can relate stories to one another um, and provide a little bit of comic relief for some of the crazy things that we deal with, but I also was really hoping that the part of the population that does not have a special needs child or a child with autism would read the book and get a little bit better understanding of our life, um, our daily life, and what it's like kind of behind the curtain of, of living with a special needs child and caring for them. And I feel like that's been really well received. So again, my sincere gratitude to everyone who has purchased and shared. Um, if you haven't picked up a copy of my book and are interested in reading it, it's available on Amazon. The title is Welcome to My Life, A Personal Parenting Journey Through Autism. So thanks again. Um, now, moving on to the podcast, uh, my guest today is Christina Stearns. She is an autism mom from upstate New York. Her son, Alec, is 15 years old, and is, he is on the autism spectrum. She is a founding member of the Autism and Mental Health Initiative of Central New York, and she's a board member of a new nonprofit organization, Sanchia uh, Calendar. I hope I said that right. Um, her website is uh, linked in the show notes for you that want to look that up. Uh, recently, Christina was featured along with two other autism parents in a mini documentary called Life Fantastic, which highlights the challenges that autistic individuals and families face when seeking out appropriate mental health services in the central New York area. Um, I will also link the documentary that can be found on YouTube, so you can check that out. Um, you know, Christina tells me that sharing experiences and information with other parents and advocating for kids and eventually adults on the spectrum is something she really enjoys and has been a part of since 2007 when Alec was first diagnosed. She believes that banding together to build a network of information and support is very, very important. So please take a moment and listen to this episode with Christina Stearns. 
So my guest on Living the Sky Life today is Christina Stearns. She was introduced to me by um, Skylar's godmother, my really good friend, Monica. And I'm so glad that she introduced the two of us because there's a lot of um, similarities in our stories. And I, there's so many things I want to ask Christina about today. So welcome to the podcast, Christina. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the diagnosis story for your son, Alec, who I know is 15, and that goes back quite a number of years. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about how the diagnosis came to be, and if it was pretty typical of a lot of stories that you hear, you know, around two, three sure. years old, you're noticing developmental delays and things like that. Sure. Um, so he was born in January of 2005. And um, he was a really great baby. He was so chill. And, <laughs> and I know that's like, I hear that there's either, you know, really relaxed baby or really colicky baby and very hard to hit, you know, like, so there's kind of the, the spectrum of mm -hmm. babies. And um, he was just delightful. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> it was great. Um, but then, you know, as time went on, we noticed that he wasn't really babbling. He wasn't attempting to speak. He wasn't um, doing things for himself, um, like trying to feed himself. That one really took a long time. Um, and then when it came to when he was supposed to start walking, um, he was crawling forever and he was a big guy. He was born, um, almost 10 pounds. Oh Lord. And, yeah. <laughs> and he, well, he was also breech. So, um, I love you. <laughs> yeah. So he was a C-section baby because he never turned for me. Um, so, so he was, you know, he just took his time with everything and we finally got to the walking phase and he was 17 months old before he actually stood up to walk. And it was because he just didn't know how, <laughs> apparently he just didn't have that skill, that coordination. So he was crawling. Okay. Just not walking. And I was re I was trying to carry him everywhere and, and that became a little, um, a little difficult. Um, and then eventually I was pregnant with my daughter who was two years behind him. And, um, and I just couldn't fathom, you know, how am I going to have another newborn when my older child isn't doing the things he's supposed to do? So, um, you know, I, I would bring these things up to the pediatrician and, and it would sort of get blown off. Um, they weren't really as aggressive with the questions that they probably ask now. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those developmental questions. I would always get, oh, he's a boy. He's healthy. <laughs> yeah. Everything will be fine. You know, just don't freak out about it. You're, he's fine. So eventually, um, we were visiting some relatives in Connecticut, and my husband's aunt is um, a special education teacher. And she saw him, um, you know, as he was at the time, and, and he was doing some things that were red flags to her. And, and she had pulled my mother-in-law aside and said, you know, I don't know how you want to tell your daughter-in-law, but I really think that he should be evaluated by, you know, early intervention or whatever you guys have in New York. And um, I had the same thoughts running through my head, but I never really knew what to do because mm -hmm. the pediatrician wasn't on the same page. So um, 
my mother-in-law delicately had a conversation with me and I started crying and I think it was just crying out of relief. Like, Oh, okay. All right. Maybe yeah, I can figure this out. Like what's going on. Mm -hmm. So we got him into early intervention and he qualified for every single service they could throw at him at the, the highest amount of uh, PT, OT, um, regular special ed teacher, um, speech therapy, of course, because that was the big one. Um, uh, so everything, all these services he had, and, and the services went on for almost a year. And then I thought to ask, I'm like, are, are we going to diagnose this? Like, is there, yeah. <laughs> is there, is there a diagnosis that goes with this? And just, I had no other knowledge really of autism or what I was looking at. So, you know, as a mother, you have this hope, oh, maybe he just needs to catch up. Maybe he mm -hmm. just needs a little bit of help and everything will be fine. So we, um, we pressed for it. And in our area, it takes at least now at this point, well over a year to get a diagnosis appointment to get in to the doctors who diagnose the developmental pediatricians. So um, we actually had a, a loophole where we got recommended to, um, to a developmental pediatrician who was retired and didn't take ongoing patients, but he took new diagnosis appointments. So we went in and we got in rather quickly. And he was diagnosed in September of um, 2007. So he was almost three years old. And, you know, looking back, he probably could have been easily diagnosed at one year old. Mm -hmm. So we felt like we lost a lot of time in that early intervention process where he, you know, if the pediatrician would have red flagged him soon enough, we probably could have started services sooner, diagnosis sooner, you know, and you can kick yourself about those things, but it's, you know, hindsight. <laughs> of course. I mean, it, it, I'm sure for you, the validation that you got from your family member saying something to you, um, but isn't it interesting how even, you know, your, your statement and your story about, you know, her saying something to your mother-in-law, like, I'm not sure how to delicately say this. It's so interesting how so many families have somebody that's connected in some way to therapy or to, you know, medical backgrounds mm -hmm. and all of that. And they see it, but everyone is so scared to tell the mom or the dad because they right. think they're going to hurt our feelings or whatever. And I mean, nine times out of 10, we're like, thank you God for, you know, you know, validating oh, yeah. what I'm thinking and feeling. And I'm not crazy. So, yeah. you know, I would encourage people to just say something. I mean, they might be mad at you, but only for a short time, but you're going to save them a lot of time in the long run, you know, to oh, get yeah. services started. Yeah. Oh, man. So how did his, so the therapies were helping him, I'm guessing. And then um, we have, ours is called First Steps, zero to three, um, early intervention. But mm -hmm. I assume that ended for him. And then were you able to get, once you got the diagnosis, were you able to get additional services for him? Um, well, it really helped as he was preschool age because he was then eligible to go into a preschool program that had more of a behavioral approach. So we were referred, um, he was almost preschool age when we got the diagnosis. So we started that process and we looked at some preschools, um, and got him into one that had a really great program and one of his first teachers ever, I'm still in touch with her on Facebook, which is wonderful, um, 
her name is Katie and she was just the best teacher in the world, loved her so much, but that particular preschool really didn't work for him in the therapy side. He just really needed more, um, more intense therapies for speech and OT that they really couldn't provide. So we switched him at age four to a different preschool that had an ABA format. And that's really where he started learning a lot more at, in terms of words and um, ability with OT. And the OT at the second preschool is who really got him through um, his food aversions and sensitivities to textures. And she really got him right. I still credit her for that. And I got to say, my son is a really good eater and he will eat all sorts of things. Um, and I think it's because we caught that and treated that so early. Yeah, that's a blessing because usually food is one of the biggest challenges, you know, if it's texture oh, yeah. issue or just just in general, they maybe have a handful of things that they're willing to try and to eat. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Skyler's a pretty good eater, but you know, it's just hit or miss. He seems to, I mean, it's probably like everyone else. He seems to get into a, like a rut after a while to eat some of the things and then he'll refuse them. And we're like, you like that? And he's probably sick of it. So <laughs> to try more things more often, I guess, mix it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then so he was, was he in, um, you know, a quote unquote traditional schooling? Was he um, included in the classrooms or was he in a kind of a standalone setting? Yeah. With an aid? So this is, this is kind of how this progressed. So after preschool, um, mm -hmm. he was in an inclusion setting for preschool both years. And for kindergarten, he went right into our school district in the same school that my daughter went to a few years behind him. For kindergarten, he um, was in a classroom where he um, was only with the other disabled children who had IEPs. Yep. And then they would um, go into one of two classes with typical children. Okay. So um, he really didn't do very well and required a lot of support when they broke into the other rooms. And um, at that point, that's when they started talking to us about what would first grade look like. And at that point, uh, we toured a school program that was not as inclusive. Um, and it kept the kids to only about eight to 10 in a classroom who had IEPs. And this was an autism specific program. Okay. And it was right in another regular school and the kids could, um, I don't know, what is the term for when they go into a typical classroom? There's a term for that. I can't remember. It's not mainstreaming. Is. is that what you mean? No, no. It's when they, it's when they, um, leave their, uh, classroom of, um, disabled children and they, yes. they go into, um, a class that is, um, with both. So it yeah, is. I know an, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was able to do that with great success with this program because he had a higher level of support throughout the day. And this was an awesome program. It served him so well through, I would say about third grade. Mm -hmm. Um, so when we reached the point that he was about I'd say nine years old, 10 years old. Um, we were thinking, um, you know, what, 
what is his future going to look like? What do we want for him? Um, we, we had some discussions with his developmental pediatrician about, you know, some behaviors that were new that we were seeing and we didn't know how to handle them. And then the medication discussion was starting mm, um, yeah. as he was such a young child. And I'm like, I just, I don't know if I want to do this. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. So I'm just going to backtrack actually though, to when he was eight years old, so the medication discussion actually began right around when he was eight and I was researching, okay, what do I want? What tools do I want to help my child? And we came upon service dogs mm -hmm. and that's how I met Monica. Um, so we fundraised when he was eight years old. And by the time he was um, almost 10, we went to Ohio to meet his service dog. And um, it was an amazing experience because this dog was trained to track uh, when, if your child should elope. And that was one of the things that Alec did and still does. Um, it was just amazing what they were trained to do. So we went through this two-week training class. And um, so I'm from New York. And so we went all the way out to Ohio, um, got our dog, trained for two weeks, and came back with the dog. And... Uh, by this time, uh, we were preparing to introduce his service dog into the school setting, which can be a difficult endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard that the, from Monica. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, when we came to that point, my husband was allowed in. I was working full time and, and he was um, the care, main caregiver. He went into the school with Rafi and trained the TAs to be handlers for Rafi and they were ready. They were ready to do it. The problem was <laughs> we got a phone call. I got a phone call um, from the principal of this program and she was like, what is the dog supposed to be doing for him? Is it supposed to be calming him down? Is it supposed to be helping him through his day? Because we're just not seeing that that's happening. And and we want to allow his dog here, but it's actually causing more commotion because the TAs are starting, they're trying to learn how to handle the dog. And at the same time, he's just got these elevated behaviors and the dog is not helping. And um, at that moment, that was like one of the diff most difficult moments I have ever, ever had. And I said, okay, we're, we're gonna talk about it. We wound up pulling Rafi out of school and thought, okay, maybe we just need more time for them to bond. So we tried, you know, we did all the things that uh, the group uh, for Pause for Ability told us to do. And while Rafi seemed to bond really well to Alec, Alec didn't seem that he needed Rafi or was comforted by his presence. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't dislike dogs. We had an, a pet dog at the time as well, um, but he just wasn't. He, his behavior was not modified by the dog. And so we learned that in about 10% of placements, this is what happens and it's not the dog's fault, it's not the child's fault. It's just that the child is not responding favorably to the dog. Uh -huh. So um, what happened, um, you know, what was a real eye opener um, was when um, I got a phone call from the school one day. And um, so Alec is about 10 at this point. Um, 
and we we got a phone call you know that that mrs stearns we had to call an ambulance because alec is not safe and his behavior is endangering others and himself um we called your husband first he's on the way and we just wanted you to know so i was like oh okay um they took him to the local psychiatric unit for emergency services. And so if you remember, I mentioned, I didn't know if I wanted medication to help him. Yeah. And at this point we didn't have any other choice because yeah. obviously the dog did not help. <laughs> and um, we were like, okay, what do we do here? And um, his behavior was so elevated um, that we tried our first antipsychotic medication. Mm -hmm and also um, a medication for his hyperactivity and ADHD. Yep. Um, so at the same time, um, I stayed overnight with him as he was being observed. And I sent, I had my phone with me and I sent the head of Four Paws for Ability an email and I was crying my eyes out as I did it. Sure. <laughs> and I, I said, what do we do with Rafi? he he's with us and he just didn't work out and is there something that i need to let you know if alec for some reason can't stay with us any longer at home because we're starting to have conversations about possibly looking at residential facilities mm -hmm. to meet his needs so um she responded right back and she said, no, Rafi is part of your family and it's not Rafi's fault and it's not Alex's fault. Yeah. So um, please, you know, you have the choice. You can return Rafi and we will repurpose him for another child or a veteran. They do have a veterans program. Um, but if you want to keep him, you could retire his service dog status and he would be an in-home companion animal. And that's what we did, and, and we still have him. And he'll be eight years old in December. Um, he's been a huge comfort to our whole family. Yeah, maybe that was the, you know, the, the side blessing, I guess, is that he provides comfort to the rest of you. Maybe the yeah. bond didn't work with Alec, but yeah, I mean, that'd be hard because that's a member of your family already. So, yeah. You know. Oh, he is. Yeah. He's such a sweet boy. We love him so much. And the thought of giving him up was also making me cry at the same time as <laughs> at the same Everything time. Everything else going on. Oh, it was, so was, it was, yeah. Was Alex's behavior, um, I mean, it's just interesting because it sounds a lot like Skylar, um, my son. And I, is his behavior self-injurious or does he hit, bite, pull hair? Like what is, what does he do yeah, to endanger yeah. others? Um, he it's it wasn't at the time self-injurious it is now but it wasn't at the time um when he is in behavior he will be on the floor flailing his whole body and if you get anywhere near him um you'll get hurt just be, he's like just all his his legs are going his arms are going everything yeah. and and he has bit as well um so it, what they were doing in his classroom so often was they would put up these mats so that they would just let him work it out. But these episodes were going on for so long that they were unable to 
um, you know, attend to the rest of the class. Yeah. And so um, we had, we started having conversations with the school district and we said, you know what, we can't even get him to have a productive, you know, 45 minutes to an hour at school. He also was not riding the bus safely. So we had to take him off the bus transport. Um, we decided to keep him home and we started looking at residential schools where he would instead live and have a higher level of support. Um, and when we came to that decision, it was really solidified when he was treated at um, a children's psychiatric hospital in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. um, so sadly, the only facility that was able to take him um, in a timely manner was uh, called Bradley Hospital and they're in Rhode Island. They are absolutely amazing. And um, what they did was they had him there for two weeks and they were able to adjust his meds, but they still said to us, you know, he's doing well. He's doing well here in a very highly structured environment. And, you know, you may want to consider that for him. So as heartbreaking as it was, um, we decided to place him. And this was in May of 2015, so five years ago, exactly almost, a little bit more than. And um, he flourished the first two years. He did things for, for them in their environment that he would never do for us. And one of the biggest things is he takes medication three times a day. Mm -hmm. And he was becoming aggressive with us because he doesn't swallow pills. Oh, we have okay. to crush everything or it has to be in liquid form. And I'm sure it doesn't taste great. And I don't blame him. I, you know, so when he was at home, we literally had, one of us had to like bear hug him and the, the other one would um, syringe all of the yeah. liquid into his mouth. And, and actually, if you saw the, um, the movie, the little documentary that I had sent to you, yes. um, the way that the one mom was giving her son meds just that same way is exactly yes, how he's in the face. And yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Except her son is actually more compliant than Alec was. <laughs> yeah. But I, um, yeah, but now um, the school and the residents, they have him taking, drinking it out of a cup willingly every time he needs to take his meds. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, gosh, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> did the medications help? I mean, we've been round and round with so many. Some suppressed his appetite so much he looked beyond emaciated, and then oh, you know others yeah. just kind of made him like a zombie. And so we stopped those. And you just don't want to alter their personality and turn them into you know a walking zombie who really can't function anyways at school. But then if you do nothing, then the behavior is so bad. Like you said, they can't get anything accomplished because they're f putting out fires all day long with their behavior. Um, yeah. did, did it take you a while to get a combination that worked or? We're uh, still, <laughs> we are, it is an ongoing process. Us I too. don't think it's ever <laughs> going to end. Um, the only medication that ever worked for a, a long time and a long time for Alec is like over two years is uh, Risperidone. Yeah, and, we were on that a long yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden it stopped working and yeah. it was a night nightmare. Yeah, that's so weird. Us too. Yeah. So uh, actually, um, on top 
of the autism. Um, he has a very significant mental health um, diagnosis that um, we are guessing is genetic in our family. Okay. And um, so my aunt on my, my mom's side had schizophrenia and she passed away uh, a while ago, but she was in an institution um, to be treated because she wasn't able to live in her house and they didn't have supports at the time to help you live in your house. So um, she, I would go visit her and I had exposure to her and, and I really think that it helped me to identify what might be going on with my own son, but it's very tricky when your child doesn't have functional speech. Right. I so, wonder how they would diagnose that. Yeah, yeah. That actually happened at the, the hospital when he was hospitalized in Rhode Island. Um, they were able to see him. He was staring off and it appeared that he was listening to other sounds that other people couldn't hear. And so they wanted to rule out that this was not seizure activity. Right. So they took him to a, a nearby hospital and did an EEG. Um, he does have seizures, so he does have epilepsy, but it's controlled with medication. So we always want to rule out that what they are seeing isn't some sort of seizure. So they did that, and um, they said he has a diagnosis of psychotic disorder. And, um, and, and this actually makes behaviors worse. So when he's in the middle of, of a a significant behavior episode. Um, if he's also experiencing psychosis, it's hard for him to come back to a place of reality where he can listen to people and calm down and calm his body and his mind. So um, the, the Risperdal actually was working to um, help with that because it was, it was helping. It, it's also given to people who have schizophrenia mm -hmm. and the the off-label use per se is is uh for the diagnosis diagnosis of autism or symptoms of aggression right so he, that's why risperdome worked for him so much and um so now he always has to be on an antipsychotic but finding ones that work successfully for him are a challenge. And when we tried one that didn't work for him at all, it made things so much worse. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty instant than ever before, you know, when you yeah. see it, if you switch and you're like, even if you taper carefully and all of that, man, I mean, it is like they, their personality is night and day from one yeah. that works and one that doesn't. Yeah. 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 And he, it's too soon for him, but he's only 15. And so they don't normally diagnose, you know, full schizophrenia before the age of 18. And it's very rare. Um, but in conversations with his child psychiatrist um, and his psychologist who works closely with him, um, it's, it's pretty obvious, you know, he's got a generic diagnosis of psychosis right now. Um, psychosis can also be a symptom of bipolar disorder. Right. So, um, you know, we're kind of looking at, is it possible that maybe he has um, the combination version, which is called schizoaffective disorder. Right. So he's just not old enough to get that diagnosis. It's not that it's going to do anything huge for him as long as he's already medicated appropriately. 
Right. And it's good to already get on that track, at least for insurance purposes and things to have the, oh, yeah. the correct diagnosis codes to get the medication. And um, yeah, I, it's, it's a guessing game. And the, I think the challenge for us and maybe you too, is anytime we go to, um, we have a, an amazing psychiatric nurse practitioner that um, sees Skylar and you know, we're answering all the questions and we're just, yeah. trying, we're interpreting everything. We're like, well, you know, he did this and this, and he wasn't doing that before we started the med. I take, you know, feverish notes and I have so many notebooks going of medicine and food and different oh, things. Yeah. I track everything because I'm trying to be his voice and trying to nitpick every little movement and action and behavior so that I can clearly state to them, to the, you know, physicians, this is what we're seeing now what do you do? You know, can, can you change mm -hmm. his med? Can you increase his med? Whatever. Um, that's like the hardest part. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, with them not being able to contribute to, of how they feel, this medication makes my head hurt. This makes right, me feel right. crazy and like out of body experience. And, um, and that worries me. I don't like giving him anything, but we have to do something because he can't just, we've tried just the biomedical, we're doing the biomedical intervention route mm -hmm. right now with supplements, vitamins, and some of his still medications oh, yeah. on there. We did some of that too. <laughs> but I mean, and of course it's only been six weeks, eight weeks, I think that we've done the, um, the biomedical intervention route, but I just want everything to be so much quicker. And I know it's going to take several months. Um, but it, his behaviors are, getting worse. And I, and I don't know if it's puberty and hormones and he's, you know, 17. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we maybe need everything reevaluated and upping all the doses. Um, I mean, we had a super scary, your bus story made me, or saying that he can't ride the bus mm -hmm. this week. I got a call from his school. They transport him, um, every Tuesday to OT. Um, and it's just, it's a short car ride. It's like 10 minutes to the OT facility and he's usually fine. Um, he hits our arm in the car, hits the center console. And, you know, if I'm in the passenger seat, he'll tug at my hair if I'm not careful. But mm -hmm. he grabbed a hold of the, the RBT that was driving him, her ponytail. And oh, he was on the passenger yeah. back seat where we tell them to put him. And I didn't think he could reach her, but he wouldn't let go. And she, yep. they, they called me almost in tears because they were scared. Obviously she swerved her car. She almost hit another car. The two of them could have been killed. They could have killed someone else all because he had a, just had a, I don't even know, like a fit after they left. Yep. It's like, yep. he didn't want to leave OT and go back to the center. I don't know, but I mean, they're like, we're gonna, and they were so kind about it. We were overly apologetic. I mean, I, I didn't know what to do. I felt so bad yep. for her and just that they have to go through this with him. My biggest fear is that they're going to call us one day and say, I'm sorry, we just cannot, we can't have him here anymore. And then what are we going to do? You know, if he's going to get kicked out of every facility and therapy place, um, and I'm sure you've been there. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's amazing that you're talking about hair pulling. That's, that's in his repertoire. That's oh, God, <laughs> ours is awful. It still is, but unfortunately it still is. Um, but it's, it's just that impulsivity that uh -huh. he can't, he just wants to touch hair and then sometimes yes. he's compelled to pull it and yeah, things have happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's bad. Well, and, um, I want to talk a little bit more about the setup of the facility, but while we're talking about hair pulling, it made me think of, of your daughter, Dana, who you said, you know, is two years younger. 
my kids are two years apart also. Um, what, what was their relationship like, you know, as kids and then into teen years? Because, I mean, does he pull her hair? That's our biggest hurdle here is Skylar yeah. is very aggressive to Kendall because he doesn't like our attention going to her in any way, shape or form. Right. So I feel horrible for her because she just despises him right now. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, they had a really great relationship. Um, they do now, but, um, growing up in the same house, they, they had, um, a really close relationship because for so long, it's probably the same for you when you have this newborn and the newborn has this older sibling, they're really on the same wavelength because mm -hmm. it's not like you have an older brother. It's kind of like she had a peer. So then it's at whatever point it happened, we saw her surpass him. And that to me was heartbreaking to see yeah. that. But then it's like, now you have the younger sister watching out for the older brother. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and I'm sure you know also how, you know, you have to go to separate family functions. You have to take the, the child that you can take. And, and one of us stays home with Alec and, you know, we've got all that going on. But um, when he started to become aggressive, that component really worried us. Um, he, he never intentionally hurt Dana. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And he never act actually, he never really accidentally hurt Dana. We would always catch it before it got over to her. So most of the aggression was toward my husband and I, and, um, and we, we would just manage it. And luckily it didn't, it didn't really affect her, but she would see it. She would see it happening to us and probably know that that wasn't normal and that, you know, why is, why is my brother doing this? Um, we felt that it, it could become more and more dangerous over time if he stayed in the home. Yeah. So that's, that's really where we got to the decision of the residential school placement. And what is the setup of that? I know you mentioned to me that it's a school setting and he can be at this particular facility till 21. Is that right? Yes. Yep. So what is, what does his day look like? I mean, is there obviously an area where they all sleep and live and eat mm -hmm. and all of that? And then is there a different building for like schooling or is everything yeah. done under the same roof? And nope, it's, it's really beautiful. The school, the campus is really beautiful. Um, the school is uh, a, a modest little size. It only has about 70 to 80 kids total. And each classroom only has six kids and one main teacher and three TAs. So they've got a lot of control over these very small classrooms and, and none of them are, um, are integrated with typical children. It's only these special needs children together in each classroom. Um, and so half the kids that go to the school are bussed in from the community and the other half are children who live there on the campus. Okay. And the houses look very much like a regular house with regular bedrooms and regular bathrooms. And, um, and the rooms are all decorated to each child's liking. Aww, and that's cool. it really does feel like a home, like it's their actual home. The kitchen looks like a kitchen that would be in any home. 
and um, the staff are amazing. He's got uh, Monday through Friday, he has a nurse that is on staff for every single house. Um, usually there's one nurse assigned to more than one house. Um, he's got a behavioral specialist who's assigned to him, particularly in the residence. And then there's about three managers and then support staff who rotate during the day and night. So um, his school day is, um, is run by his IEP. So, um, you know, he still gets therapies. He gets uh, speech and OT and, um, and adaptive physical education, which we've been lucky. He hasn't needed um, PT since he was very little. Once he got the hang of things, it was more um, a coordination thing for him. Uh -huh. So um, that was, that was a, a gain for him. So I, I really think about um, all the things where he's gotten better with therapy, like he hasn't needed the PT and um, the OT helped him with eating so much. And, um, and now he's able to type. So um, he doesn't type full sentences, really. He, um, but he can search anything in Google. He can search <laughs> anything in YouTube. He, yeah, they have to monitor his searches because that's funny. <laughs> Because <laughs> like a regular teen, he is apparently now trying to search some interesting things. So. I'm sure. <laughs> so did his communication over time, did you guys go through the gamut of PECs and sign language and everything? And Oh, yeah. So yeah. Where, did he, where did he land, I guess, on his communication of wants and needs and, you know, so you could understand what he was, you know, asking of you? He can very clearly say what he wants and what he does not want. Okay. He cannot express feelings. He cannot express, um, like, so that expressive speech that when you want to talk about how you feel inside or emotional or anything like that, he does not have uh, very much ability at all. So um, he... He, every once in a while, he'll surprise us and, and the staff will say, Mrs. Stearns, he, he said that he was angry and we asked him why he was angry. And he said to us, it's be, because I don't want to wait. So, so, <laughs> okay. That's great. So, so like he really, um, every once in a while, like he'll come out with this gem, but he doesn't often have that ability. And that's the real challenge with him. He's a real complex guy. Yeah. And, um, and you never know what's going on in the head. Right. But he, he is a really good reader. He can read like second grade level. Um, so if you give him a book, he can read it. But whether or not he's actually understanding anything, uh -huh. we're not sure. But still, to be able to read the words on the page would be... That's yeah. a huge milestone, I think. Um, yeah. So when he, so as far as his feelings go to, is, is it the same for if his belly's upset or he just doesn't feel good? Can he communicate that, that he doesn't feel well, or just kind of have to guess? that he Very basic. He does. Yeah. Yes. He does give us some very, very basic, um, you know, if his stomach hurts, he, he might be able to say, you know, stomach, stomach, ow, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, but otherwise, um, if it was, if he's just overall not feeling good and it's not a particular part of his body, there's a lot of guessing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so what did the visitation, what does that look like? Can you FaceTime with him regularly? And then 
mm -hmm. visit him. I mean, I know we can get into the COVID situation because my heart has just been melting for you. Um, you know, just seeing posts on Facebook and all of that you've been going through with just the shutdown and not being mm -hmm. able to see your kids and all of that. Yeah. Um, but traditionally, what is the setup like for families to mm -hmm. be able to, for the residents? We can see him anytime we want, basically. So within the regular day hours, um, they like us to probably be there no earlier than maybe eight or nine in the morning. And we could never visit any later than maybe six o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. So um, our routine was always that every Saturday or Sunday, we would go and we would bring him dinner. And then the four of us would go downstairs in their like recreation room area. And we would eat together. And Sweet. that was yeah. our routine. And yeah. he used to, we used to be able to pick him up and take him out to a restaurant. Um, that hasn't been as attainable as it was in the past, just due to some of his behaviors. So, um, so we've, we've been just there at the house and, and um, it's been really, really great. And one of my favorite experiences at his house and his school was um, his favorite holiday is, is Halloween. Oh. <laughs> so he wanted to be um, Batman and Superman this, okay. this past Halloween. Front and back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right, this is his favorite holiday. I'm not going to spare any expense on this. So I bought him a really great Superman costume and a really great Batman costume. Aww. And he decided which one he wanted to be like during the school hours. He was Superman. And then um, he changed and put the Batman one on later on in the day. But I spent like the whole day, I, I showed up at school and had a pizza party. I brought a pizza party into his class. And then we went over to his house and had another party over there. And it was just really awesome. It was one of the best days I've ever had with him because he just loves wearing costumes and it's his favorite thing. So Look, in another universe, that. that's awesome. Yeah, like in another universe, he could be in cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's always so nice to identify something that you can definitely tap into to get the most out of them, to get the most smiles, just even an experience for you and the family to have together. You know, that to always yeah. be Halloween. That's great. You know, I long for something like that, and um, it, it just it it makes the days where he's not with you and some of the stuff that you probably go through emotionally so much better that you at least have that yeah. smile on his face for 24 hours to, to get you through. Yeah. Um, so with COVID, obviously you haven't been able to physically see him right for several months. To, is that no, what? no. Yeah. Um, oh, so gosh. they've been locked down in their residences. That means they can't, not only can they not see us, we can't go in, they can't go out they can't go any further than their campus. Um, so we have not physically seen him since mid-March. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how are the kids holding up? I mean, they don't, we all talk about, you know, our kids not being able to go to ABA for a month and things like that. And we're having to homeschool them and, you know, woe is us. And then I think about your situation and, and Alec and how yeah. crazy this must make him or just, their routine can't be followed and you guys aren't coming on your normal schedule and all of that. Is he regressing doing 
the same? How do you, how he, is he doing? Yeah, he was actually doing well at first. And because he's one of the kids who doesn't go home for long periods of time, there uh -huh. are some kids who have the ability, like after a few years, sometimes um, these kids are able to do home visits and overnight visits. And we've just been through a rough, rough patch with him and, and we haven't been able to do too much of that. We did at Thanksgiving and Christmas do a day visit with him but he isn't really used to coming home all that much and that's not part of his routine. We went to him. So it's more affecting him that we're not coming to him, right. not that he's not leaving the house. Um, so he did well at first, actually better than some of the other kids who are used to going home a lot or seeing their families, you know, like for greater periods of time throughout the week, if they had that availability, they could. Um, so he was doing well at first and then things started to get really bad and <laughs> um, we needed to do another medication adjustment, which is my most hated thing in the whole world. Yeah, no, I hear you. Because <laughs> he's so sensitive, like you never know if it's going to magically work or if it's going to make things so much worse. So, and that's the truth for all kids on the spectrum, I think, that, that sure. have med changes. Um, and then you have to have, try to have patience when it's so hard to have patience to wait and see if it's going to work. And then you feel bad for the staff that has to deal with that because it's not you that has to yeah. deal with that. So um, we, we, I talked to his psychologist for so long, just going back and forth. Okay, what do we want to do? Do we want to do a med? And then she consulted with the psychiatrist who I'm normally on the phone with for appointments, but um, I wasn't this time. And she said, oh, well, he wants to, you know, increase this one med. What do you think? And she was a wonderful support. All, all of his staff and professionals um, who are assigned to him are an amazing support and, and support to me and my husband as well. And, um, and we decided to take the leap and we're like, all right, let's just try. We'll try the med change because we know he's feeling more anxious, but we don't want to make it worse. And there's really nothing we can do at this mm -hmm. point. So um, we did the med change and lo and behold, it, it was the right thing to do. So well, it's gotta we be got comforting. <laughs> there's a nurse there too. I mean, that's gotta be yeah. comforting at least. And people who know what they're doing. I mean, it sounds like the whole staff there is a godsend. I mean, I know what my patients can take and I just have one child, but with varying levels of abilities and communication mm -hmm. in a facility like that. And these people are amazing with their patients and their just oh, desire yeah. to help and their love of, of all of our kids. And oh, yeah. well, I was a having blessing. a real, a really tough moment last week. I was having a, a, an exceptionally rough moment and I just didn't know what to do about it feeling very very low and all of a sudden one of the managers from the house texts me a picture of my child smiling and I saw that I was you like, posted it didn't you oh I did and I <laughs> yeah. was like I needed this so so badly how did you know I needed to see this and it was just amazing to see that um so yeah so right now these houses are on lockdown and um, we're being told in New York state that um, we can only do window visits, which means that I would have to go there. He would see me outside the house and I can't go inside the house. That'd be worse, wouldn't it? It would be worse. So I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's like teasing them. Ha ha. It I'm is. Not here. 
Yeah. That's awful. <laughs> I mean, and I, all of us are like, okay, what do we need to do? We will wear a mask. We will get tested. You can take our temperature. What do uh -huh. you want to do? And so far we've been pressuring um, the government. We're trying to figure out um, what the state will allow and when they will allow it and what's their plan. And so far we don't have a plan that's been communicated to us. And um, so it seems that uh, the office for uh, people with developmental disabilities is the office that oversees when we will reopen visitation. Mm -hmm. And um, apparently the governor has given them the authority to them in the Department of Health to say when it's safe. Um, so the struggle is that our kids are mostly in these these placements because of behavior, not because of complex health situations. Right. Immunities, yeah. Yeah. So there's not, it's not like a nursing home where you've got an older population and a, an extremely vul vulnerable population. These kids are just kids and they need to see their families. So, you know, we're, we're fighting here in New York State. <laughs> Well, I mean, and it's just, it's just like with anything with our kids, they're lumped into the general population when it's convenient, you know, mm -hmm. when they're just making a mass statement, like, you know, this is how visitations are going to go across the board. Yeah. And then when we need them to separate out our children and give them additional, you know, benefits or whatever it is, then they're like, oh, well, no, we need to yeah. <laughs> treat everybody yeah. the same. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> We want inclusion, but not in some cases. Some cases. Right. We right. need to be looked at differently. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I hope that they can um, really look deeply at the situation and, and make some changes quickly and, you know, understand that these kids are suffering in other ways than just worrying yeah. about getting a virus that we probably won't get anyways. <laughs> so... Right. Well, what I can say is that, um, so a particularly rough moment was Mother's Day um, and the staff had him send, they took these beautiful pictures of all the kids with um, each of them having a sign that says, I love you, mom, and, um, and sent me a card. And then um, that same weekend was Dana's 13th birthday. And our little routine is that when it's one of our birthdays, he doesn't care whose birthday it is. He loves birthdays. So uh, he, I was like, how is he going to handle this? He's, he's going to want to be at his sister's party. What do we do? So what we did was um, we set up a video call where we would sing happy birthday to her and all the boys at the house sung with us. Aww, that's cute. It was so sweet. And then they had a cake that they were eating for her birthday and we had our cake here. <laughs> so I, it was just so wonderful. That was a great moment. So we're trying to compromise and come up with things that will make sense, yeah. but it's still like really rough. Like those moments when you know that he would enjoy something so much and would want to be a part of it. And we can't be right now. It's, it's very, very straining on our family, but we well, hope we'll see an end. <laughs> Yeah. And kudos to all of you guys for working together and coming up with creative solutions. That, so, you know, the worst thing I think would be for him to feel and all the kids there to feel that their parents have forgotten about them or whatever, because they don't see them. Yeah. They don't understand the reasoning behind all of it. So you guys are doing excellent, excellent things to make sure that they know that they're still included and it's, you know, nothing is changing hopefully um, for them permanently. Right. Well, you mentioned he loves Halloween and costumes and birthdays. Is there anything else that he's really passionate about that really makes him happy? Like a, 
<laughs> it's Elmo for us. So I don't know if it's if he likes movies or characters or anything like that. Probably superheroes. Um, yeah. um, superheroes. Spider Man's a big one too. But um, another big thing that is um, that <laughs> my husband used to get him um, on his iPad. He used to download music or uh-huh. on our, our desktop computer at home, and he would have a playlist for him. And it actually wound up being a lot of our favorite music that he started <laughs> yeah. listening to. So the funniest thing is that he actually is a really big fan of Hall and Oates. Of course I do. I'm old. <laughs> So, so when we went one time, we went to visit him and one of his um, staff was like, Hey, Alex been singing, uh, you know, Hall and Oates lately. And we're like, yep. Yeah, we know. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, he's got a very interesting taste in, in music because my husband cultivated that. (laughs) Yes. Skyler does too. He loves hip hop. I think he's loved that since the womb because that's what I always have on my car. And then, um, He loves the serious XM 80s and 90s stations. So we've gotten him listening to a lot of um, Journey and um, what is the other one he likes? Oh, he loves, I don't know why, because we don't really, but he loves Sting that, um, I think the song is called Do 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 Da 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah, yeah. He loves it. He cackles in the back seat when that comes on. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's funny. I mean, if music can bring out the laughter, I say I'm all in. Oh yeah. I can get into that. Music is, yeah, it's a big one. And also because of his love for Christmas, he absolutely, any time of year, it doesn't have to be Christmas, but the Charlie Brown Christmas music soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah. Any time of year. He loves all holidays then apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas and Christmas and Halloween are the big ones. And, um, and it's something about Charlie Brown too. Well, cause I love Snoopy and Woodstock. That's my yeah. thing. So I think he, he kind of like pulls different things from each of us that he loves too. It's really sweet. It's kind of funny. Cause I feel like I've even said before, I think Skylar, when we're talking to him, he hears the, the peanuts teacher, the wah, wah, wah. That's yeah. all he hears. <laughs> Cause he has no idea what I'm saying to him <laughs> half the time. At least that's what I tell myself. He doesn't really understand me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I so appreciate your transparency and all of the information that you've shared, not only about the service dog, but the, um, the residential home that, you know, he is thriving in and and a whole new perspective of that. I don't, I didn't know much about, um, facilities like that, that can be such a godsend and a benefit to a family of, you know, I mean, if the behavior is just beyond what you can do, you want them to live their best life and everybody Mm -hmm. to live their best life. And, have as much independence as they can. So um, it sounds like it's a perfect fit for all of your needs. Yeah. I wish we had something like that here that we could look into because it might be something that we have to do in the future is get some assistance because I don't know. He's already bigger than me. So I don't know how much longer yeah. I'm going to be able to physically handle some of these meltdowns and these outbursts that he has. And depending on the the money sources and how you can be supported at home and if you can be supported for them to live at home, um, giving them all the services they need, is there, is that possible even, you know, for some kids? Yeah. It's it's really a challenge. Well, knowing, you know, just what you've learned and experienced all of the years that you've been a parent with, with two children, you know, one with special needs and one without, 
Is there anything that you would reflect back on and maybe tell your younger self or a parent that's just getting started on this journey um, that you give yourself a little bit of a break or, or you know, talk yourself off the ledge? If there's anything that you would have done differently or, you know, would you say to them? Um, in, in every moment you can just sort of remember, oh, I wish I could have done that differently or, oh, I wish I could have done that better. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I have to say that each step along the way with Alec was really, I just focused on what did he need in that moment and what can I best do to get him what he needs? And that was truly, you know, it's what I do for my daughter as well. So um, I, I try not to look back and say, oh God, I wish I could have done this better or differently. Um, as long as you live every moment, just one day at a time yep. and not focus and perseverate, one of my favorite words, um, <laughs> perseverate on what is their future going to be, um, you know, or what is the next month going to be like? Just just try and focus on the here and now and give them what they need in this moment. And that's my advice to any autism parent, actually. Yeah, I think that's perfect and beautiful. And although we have to plan for the future, sometimes with trusts and just all of those adult things mm -hmm. that we have to look into, um, if you look too far ahead on what you wish they were doing, you're missing, you know, age four, age five, mm -hmm. you know, all yep. of the fun things. And, and until they get it's, it's scary that they're this age and they're 15, 16, 17. And you think, oh my gosh, you know, Skylar couldn't crawl. He couldn't walk till he was almost three. And same with Alec, you know, he was almost two. And you realize how far they've actually come and that they just continue to grow, you know, every year. So it's never the end. It's never too late. They can mm -hmm. learn new skills. So <laughs> just, oh, definitely. Yeah. Just try to keep my patience. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, goodness. Well, I appreciate you so much. And thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast today and, and share your family's journey with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.